Locked On Flyers, your daily podcast on the Philadelphia Flyers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome to the Lockdown Flyers podcast for Wednesday, January 19th, your daily dose of Flyers news analysis and high quality content that is almost regretting saying it would be better if they lost in a close game than getting blown out because, man, that was a rough loss to handle. Last I mean, night. I'm, hold, I'm holding up one finger, but, you know, it's and it's, <laughs> and it's not a bad finger, but it's just that one point. It seems a little hollow. Yeah, it was brutal. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Lockdown Flyers to keep up to date on all of our episodes and Flyers news. You can also email us at LockdownFlyers at gmail.com. I am Rachel Donner. You can find me on Twitter at rmiriam. I'm here with Russ Cohen, who's on Twitter at Sportsology. On today's show, we are indeed going to talk about Flyers versus Islanders, part the second. Uh, There is some PHF news in the women's hockey sphere that we're going to get to and then answer some mailbag questions. Lockdown Flyers is free and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, wherever you are listening. So subscribe and you'll get all of our episodes here on the Lockdown Sports Network. So before we get into the game itself, there was a little bit of news around the NHL and Flyers related. Uh, We learned the results of the last man in vote for the NHL All-Star Game. Uh, alas, Cam Atkinson was not the winner of that for the Metro division. Honestly, not shocking. Um, <laughs> Mika Zibanejad won that vote, but he's not going to go for personal reasons. So Jake Gensel, who was the second place voter, is going instead. Um, I am really upset that Jake Voracek did not win that vote because he is the personality they need at that game. But, you know, I guess you get what you pay for, right? I mean, <laughs> he would be great. Uh, I think that would be a nice thing for him. What I don't get is why didn't Zibanejad just take himself out of the running if he knew he had a personal thing and couldn't make it anyhow? Like, why didn't he call the league and say, hey, don't put me on the last man in thing because if I win it, I can't be in it. Uh, maybe, I think they just had to have a rep from each team. And if it wasn't him, it like, wouldn't have made sense. But I don't know. Maybe it, there's a cash bonus or something. Who knows? Oh, uh, maybe. Okay. Uh, the other divisional uh, players that were voted in are Troy Terry, Nazem Kadri, who's the one I think deserved it the most out of anybody on the last man in voting, and Steven Stamkos. Yeah, I mean, we know why Stamkos is there. And he's still having a yeah. great year. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, oh, of course. Kadri is a good one. I mean, as long as he doesn't um, play dirty in the All-Star game and like, like Gordy Howe used to back in the day, he'll be fine. <laughs> Uh, We got a couple more flyers with um, or people with flyers connections on Olympic men's hockey teams. Uh, Oliver Lordson, blast from the past, I got to (laughs) say. I remember him. I remember him. I remember him as a rookie. He's a good guy. I'll be happy to watch him maybe for like 10 minutes. And so he's going to be on the team from Denmark. And then uh, goaltender Matt uh, Tomek. Mm-hmm. is on Team Slovakia, and he is a, a guy that the Flyers still have NHL rights to, but he just plays in Europe now. He's had the weirdest career. Like, I think he played for 
I want to say two seasons in North Dakota without actually playing a game. I think it was something weird like that. And yeah, he's just had the oddest career and he's a good guy. Like I, but you know, like to say you've seen him play, you've actually had to really work at it. All right, turning our attention to that shootout loss against the Islanders from last night. I I think for me, there was one really good thing that came out of the game. And you know, when I was talking about the Monday night game, I talked about how they did not have the ability to carry lessons learned or good things from game to game, that somehow the slate got wiped clean and it felt like they were starting from scratch every game. But this was a different situation where I feel like they did carry some good things into this and they were able to actively respond to what was going on in this game. They turned around momentum in the first after just a few minutes of a slow start. Um, They tied it up twice. There was an immediate response in the second after that Josh Bailey goal when Travis Konechny scored. And I thought they were able to carry over most of the good habits they had from the first to the second period and a little bit into the third as well. No, I think that's accurate. The the only thing that I felt that was waning as that game went on was the... um, the work by the defense in front of Carter Hart. It kept getting a little weaker, a little weaker. Yes. And and that was that was the only worrisome thing. The offense did what it was supposed to. Like at least Travis Konechny now seems fully engaged again. That's good. And you know, they did have some things going right. The only thing in the overtime that bothered me was it seemed like for the most part the Islanders were more aggressive. And I felt like, you know, the Flyers, you need this extra point as much as the Islanders do. And I think for a little while of that overtime, they were sort of fighting for it. And then I think it, it there was less emphasis put on it. And I don't know if it's done on purpose or if it just happened to be working out that way because, you know, the Islanders. I think also the other part of this is I think the Islanders knew if it got into a shootout, they liked their chances because the Flyers can't win in a shootout. Well, they couldn't win in a shootout either. I mean, both teams had not won a shootout this season. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that with Barzell. That's interesting. I didn't realize that. Okay. I do think there is this tendency to think the Flyers are snake bit in the shootout overall, which, you know, there's some truth to it. But I I think both teams, as it showed by going to nine rounds, (laughs) that both teams were were struggling on that front. And so I, I did think the Flyers had a shot for that reason. But uh, I do want to circle back to what you were saying first about the defense. I think you're right that that was the weakest part of the Flyers game. Um, they did have Justin Braun out there blocking shots. Yes. But Sandheim did not have a great game overall. No. Uh, he got beat on that Bailey goal um, and just felt like a little bit out of sorts. And I did also think that Cam York did not get enough ice time in this one. He had about 13 minutes overall and three of them were on the power play which was good that they were using him appropriately he also got some penalty kill time um, which I thought he looked pretty good at as well but I just felt like they maybe could have used him a little more well all right so here's the the hard part about that one you may be right but I think Yo's doing the right thing by Cam York because you don't want to overexpose him early on especially when he's playing so well but like conversely, like Matias Samuelson yesterday led the Sabres in, in the ice time for all defensemen. And I'm like, see, now if, if York did that, would you still have said the same thing? I wonder. 
I don't think he should have led the Flyers in ice time or anything like that. I just feel like maybe... But he could have, right? Because he was their best defenseman. Yeah, because he is, or at least in the last couple of games, it felt like he was one of the better defensemen for the Flyers, and they've been so weak on that to maybe give him a couple more shifts. You know, give give him one, maybe two more shifts a period. Um, at this point, not to overdo it, but just to benefit from what he was doing out there, I think might have helped out a little bit. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, you mentioned, you know, the forwards were doing really well and Travis Konechny. Mm-hmm. He just looked like a different guy out there after scoring that goal on Monday night. Um, there were times in the game last night where he took the shot instead of passing it. Yeah. You know, and it just the little things like that. I felt like he was aggressive on the forecheck in some circumstances where he hadn't been recently and being a key part of the rush instead of a trailer sometimes. So I, I just was really heartened to see that. Yeah, I could just see it's hard to explain, but like the fire in his eyes was back and it didn't seem like it was there for a lot of this season. So, and for whatever various reasons, you know, you could say COVID, you could say all kinds of things, but it was there. And that was the guy that you're looking to see every game, to be honest. But it's hard to do it every game, but most every game. So is he going to have a better second half as a result? Maybe. Yeah. And I think also uh, we saw continued really strong play from Oscar Lindblom. In Mm -hmm. this one, he's just like quietly having a really good streak of games here. And I I certainly hope it continues. And then also, you know, we keep talking about him, but Cam Atkinson, again, bright spot here. You know, he only had an assist in this game, but he was always in a really good position to support the puck. He almost had a couple. He had six shots on goal in the game. They were all scoring chances and three were high danger. Yeah, I mean, he... If I remember, and my eyes were fluttering a little because I drove like 10 hours yesterday, but he may have also had a scoring chance right before the uh, they went into overtime. And he was playing really well. He was hard to cover. And for a lot of these games, he has been very hard to cover for the opposition. And that's that's been really noticeable. And that that is really good. Limblom, like we've been talking about him on this show, and he has been one of their four or five best players. And it's good to see... He, he finally seems to have the strength back from before his problems, his, you know, his medical problems. And because even, you know, in the bubble, it was like you could tell he was really weakened. And last year he was better, but he still didn't seem like the same guy. Now he seems like the same guy. So it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I think so, too. And then always uh, want to talk about Claude Giroux when he's playing well. He had, I thought, a really good game as well a goal and an assist and man that shot on his goal he is so good at that wicked deceptive wrister where you just don't know where it's going again this is going to start to get talked about a lot about whether he's staying or whether he's going but it's easier to talk about him leaving because it's just easy to say well we got to get all we can for him but i don't know you lose him he yeah. is going to help players develop. Like, even if you don't think you're going to be a playoff team next year, you still want your young players to develop, and he's one of the guys that's going to help them develop. So that guy that you keep seeing, and he is the best player almost every game other than some that Atkinson has taken over, 
is a reason why, you know, he could stay. I know a, a lot of people are like, well, Claude, go, go win the cup. But life is more complicated than that. I mean, Marcel Dion never won a cup, and he's one of the greatest players I've ever seen play. You just don't know. You don't. The conversation is certainly going to continue to get more complex, like you said, as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. Uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about some women's hockey coming up next. But first, you know, it's still January, so you can still get started on New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure Built Bar is included in that plan. Built Bars are protein bars, but they taste just like like a candy bar. I think some of them taste even better. And they make it so easy to stick to your resolution. They taste so good, unlike other protein bars, which sometimes can be chalky or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it could get so boring sometimes. But Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. If you're craving a snack or a treat, just reach for something that's healthy and tastes incredible. Your typical Built Bar has 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, but also 17 grams of protein. There's so many delicious flavors to choose from, whether it's coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream, raspberry so many more. Built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. So check out built.com to see what's new. While you're there, use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Once again, thanks for making Lockdown Flyers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. All right. I always get excited when we get to talk a little women's hockey. And on Tuesday, the PHF, the Premier Hockey Federation, it's the Women's Pro League, formerly known as the NWHL. They had a huge announcement where they said that their board of governors put in a $25 million fund for over three years, uh, an investment to increase their salary cap 150% next year. So teams that currently have a $300,000 salary cap going to $750,000 per team. And just if you aren't aware, it had actually been $150,000 the season before Mm -hmm. last. So this is just exponential funding increases, which is going to get players even closer to a living wage to just play hockey. I don't think it's 100% there yet, uh, but we're getting closer, which is a good thing. And the math works out. Um, They have a 20-player minimum roster and a 25-player maximum roster right now. So the average salary would range from $30,000 to $37,500 a year. And for women's pro hockey, this is huge. Well, women's pro hockey in North America, let's say. The women's league in uh, Sweden and a couple other places do pay as well. No, this is great. I mean... You're still going to need a side hustle, but I think what a lot of this will get used for is if you want elite athletes and you want to be able to train like an elite athlete, it costs money. And if you are already working a side job and let's say this league was maybe a break even point for you, you're not going to be able to train the way you'd like to train. You're maybe not going to be able to eat top of the line food the way you're going to be able to eat. This is going to make the talent even better in this league over time, and it's going to attract more talent, 
for players coming out of college too. When they're deciding maybe they, they have, you know, an opportunity, let's say somebody has an opportunity to be on the pro golf tour or play hockey, you know, now someone might choose hockey. Yeah, you know, maybe at least for a couple of years out of school to give it a shot and see yeah. where, it, where it goes, that it'll give them a chance to continue playing hockey and where it, it wouldn't have existed before. And I think that the other aspect of this is that it's enough money. It's not enough money to live in, in most places, let's be real. No. But I think for some of these players, not all, but some it will give them the opportunity to potentially relocate to a different city in order to continue that hockey career. Whereas right now, a lot of the players in this league will play for the team that's in their hometown or where they're located for work for other reasons at the moment. So you have, you know, a Minnesota cluster of players, you have a Boston cluster of players mm-hmm. um, that, that play for those teams. You have some people that live in Connecticut, which, you know, is a big hockey community there playing for the whale. And so I think this may create a situation where some people may be more likely to be able to relocate. And that I think will change the dynamics of how contracts are handed out in the league. Yeah. I mean, it's really great. Just to give you some other feeling on other sports on how they're doing it. So I was on a press conference for the USGA recently. And so there's a tour now there, their big tour, you know, their championship tour for, for women, you can make 1.8 million, if you win that, if you win that um, tournament, right? In 2018, three players earned more than 1.8 million for the entire year. So now they've got an influx of cash to the point where you could win that in one tournament. I feel like, and that's taken a long time, right, for for women's golf. But I do feel like hockey is on that path now, and it's nice to see funds going into these sports because that's the only way they were going to get on par or close. To the men's sports, I, I got to tell you, like I did a, a, a show the other night, we were calling a game, secondary audio kind of game, and I had a, a guest on, a friend, and we were talking about the Olympics, and he was like, hey, I'm more interested in watching the women's games than the men's games, and I'm like, me too. Honestly, I will catch every one of those, and maybe I'll see the men's because it's it's on in the background, but the women's games, to me, are, are the big draw. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the other things that's been missing, you know, to to your point about training and such, some of the funding that's going in there is going to things like new equipment, more ice time for practice sessions and expanded schedule. Plus, and this is, I think, one of the biggest parts right now, the health insurance that players have in this league is just essentially workers comp that they're covered Mm. for injury sustained as in practice or games. Now they're going to get full health insurance. So again, that gives them the flexibility to relocate because they'll have health insurance wherever they go. Um, And the other part is that the players are going to be given a financial stake in the league. So the players are going to split 10% of the equity of each team, which is going to be part of an investment pool owned by the players through their players association. So that gives them incentive to be part of the league's financial success outside of the on ice product. And they'll have control over their own likenesses. And so they can get sponsorship deals and, and do that on their own and earn additional money that way. See, that's big. That's big because, you know, now that will be the next big jump when, 
some video game company decides to put out like an all women's video hockey game. And then there will be players that will make money then on the likenesses. And that will be a big deal. We haven't seen that yet, but I do feel like it's coming in the next five years. Yeah, I think the EA game has like women's Olympians, but to yeah, it's not it the to, same. It's not the same as having a league represented in, right. in the video game. The other big news as part of this announcement is expansion. So right now there are teams in let me see if I can get all of these right off the top <laughs> of my head. So you have Minnesota, uh, Buffalo, Boston, Connecticut, and the river the riveters in uh, the New Jersey, New York area and Toronto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be adding two new teams. One in Montreal, which they had talked about it last year, but with COVID and everything, it just couldn't get done. So Montreal is a given for next season. And they're saying they're going to add one additional team uh, in a location to be announced in the United States. And, you know, there's some speculation about where that could be. I do not think Philadelphia is in the conversation at this time. Yeah, um, I agree. Just because of how close it is to the New Jersey team. Yep. And that I think they're going to want to look to have a team that's geographically maybe closer to Minnesota just for travel reasons. So it's like a Chicago, Detroit kind of option. I think Detroit looks pretty good in my eyes um, just because Michigan does have that strong hockey community. Although I could see there. Chicago, they. They've got um, a bunch of new strong women's hockey there, too. They do. And they have a bunch of new like multiplex uh, rink setups that the Blackhawks have heavily invested in. Uh, Not that the Red Wings haven't done that either, but it just theirs are kind of newer. And I kind of wonder, I I feel like if it were me, I think I would go Chicago. Yeah, it's going to be fun to see where it turns out. I'm very excited about new branding opportunities, New Jersey designs. Um, yep. My wallet is not going to enjoy Although this. I got to tell you, honestly, I'm not sure about your taste in jerseys. I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> I think it's 50-50. Some of them you put up and you're like, this is great. And I just think sometimes you're excited that there's a New Jersey out. That's just me. Yeah, that is true. But I also, yeah, I like a wide variety of them for, for different reasons. So But, you know, all of this being said, I think this is really good for the league overall. Um, You know, we were talking before we started recording that maybe the rollout of this announcement could have gone a little bit better. It was at 7 (laughs) a.m. on a Tuesday. I just have to laugh. It's like I used to work in corporations, right? And you've worked for companies. And it's like, who in the world thought it would that would be a good idea. Like everybody would be able to check their phone at that time. If nothing else, wait until everybody's at the office. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not <laughs> sure what was going on there, but I, I do think overall, this is a good thing. And it's good that the owners have gotten together and decided that, you know, their initial investment to purchase these teams. And uh, if you remember, these teams were started owned by the league and now Mm -hmm. over the last couple of years uh, separate ownership groups have bought the franchises so it's becoming more and more like a traditional sports league in terms of the operating structure which is good too so you know i think this is uh this is this is good news 
And maybe, you know, we'll start getting some of these games on betting sites, right? Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code locked on to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, so we are going to finish things up today with a few questions from the mailbag. I want to start out, the Montreal Canadiens hired Kent Hughes as their next GM. What do you think as a general rule of agents moving over to the GM role? It's it's hit and miss. I mean, I could talk to you about Brody Van Wagenen, who was the Mets GM and a very prominent baseball agent, and that was awful. And then you could find some other instances where it's been good. Uh, Bill Zito is the best one uh, right now. So I think it's a 50-50 dice roll. Like They have Jeff Gordon there, so that's a big deal. And honestly, if Jeff Gordon has a great working relationship with Hughes, then Jeff Gordon is not going to have to worry about getting stabbed in the back like maybe Patrick Waugh would have done. If you hired Patrick Waugh and in six months if things weren't going well or a year if things weren't going well. So I don't I can't say this is a guarantee that it's going to work. And I've never spoken to the man. I've spoken to a lot of agents, but I don't know him. So I think it's a tough job. I mean, Montreal is a tough job to begin with. I think Gordon, it's really good that he is there because he's pulled off a lot of successful deals. He's a smart guy. He has a business degree. So he's not just even just a a hockey guy. He's more than that. But you're still going to have two guys that hopefully have the same vision. If they don't, then it's not going to work out. Yeah, I'm with you there. In the right situation, like you said, with Gorton there, where it's kind of more of a partnership as opposed to you know, an all-powerful solo GM, I think (laughs) the potential is more likely for it to work out. Um, But, you know, Bill Zito might be the exception to the rule here. He could be. I'm just not sure that I would want to have somebody go from agent to GM without that additional support, like you said. Next question. Now that we know that Danny Briere isn't getting poached yet... How long do you think it will take for him to reach the GM level and will it be with the Flyers? Well, I mean, if I were the Flyers, I certainly would put him uh, in some sort of special whatever to the general manager kind of role, uh, not to, you know, supersede Brent Flair or, or worry, get him worried, but maybe um, put Danny in charge of the pro side of that and let him work that so he could work with um, some of the pro players. Maybe that would be a good way to sort of transition his way up the ladder. But, you know, I've even been getting, you know, texts and such. Is he the next GM? And he can't be the next GM. No. Not in a market like this. Not with the complicated matters with a team like this. Uh, I don't think they'll do a full rebuild. But even just the kind of retooling that they're probably going to do, I don't think you want to have a new guy like Danny Briere doing it like that. So I think that... um, he should get another better position in the organization, and it's good that he had a good interview. 
because otherwise he will get poached. I think that you're right in that they do need to give him more of an official position that's a bump up. I know he's been informally doing a lot of assistant GM kind of things around the team, but I think to lock him into something official would be good for him and good for the team um, and get him a little bit more visible in terms of what he's doing. And yeah, I certainly hope that he continues to grow and flourish in these roles and that the Flyers develop him in a way that he doesn't go elsewhere in the meantime. Sure. All right, next question. Given what we know now about the Flyers' D and how it's working, who do you pair York with on a regular basis to try and continue his development? I don't want to say Ivan Provorov because Provorov needs a veteran with him still. So it's probably Justin Braun. I think you're right there for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think he does provide that kind of support that a guy like York needs. And, uh, you know, we were talking in the first segment about how much ice time do you give York? Well, kind of in between 13 and 15 or 16 minutes is kind of what you want to max out Justin Braun at anyway. Yes. In a game. So I think it works out for both of them in that circumstance. Yeah, I think it would be good. And... Again, the only downside is will Braun be here because he's an impending UFA at the trading after the trading deadline? That's that's a good question. He probably won't be. But for now, that's what I would do. Last question. What's one thing you would tell Mike Yo as a piece of advice right now? Uh keep updating your resume. Oh no. <laughs> um, I think for me it would be to keep being honest at those pressers because I think he's been pretty forthcoming um, and he says I don't know which is sometimes a good thing and sometimes you know not a good thing in these circumstances but I think he's being really blunt and I think that's important right now yeah and the only reason I said the resume thing is because even if they were playing 500 hockey by the time his time is over here and I believe it will be they still probably aren't going to hire him. I don't think yeah. they're looking at him that way. So I think I, I'm just saying that as good advice, like, hey, I think you're, you're doing as good a job as you could be doing, but they're not going to hire you. Like, that's just the way it is. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, that'll do it for today's show. We will be back again tomorrow. We're going to do a special crossover episode with Jay Foster from locked on Columbus Blue Jackets to get ready for that matchup. Feels like we haven't seen them in eons. Mm -hmm. As a reminder, we always want to hear from you. Send us in your questions via Twitter at Locked on Flyers. You can also email us at LockedOnFlyers at gmail.com. I'm Rachel. I'm on Twitter at rmiriam. That's R-M-I-R-I-A-M. I'm Russ. I'm at Sportsology, S-P-O-R-T-S-O-L-O-G-Y. You made us your first listen today. Now make your next listen Locked on Bets. It's your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets, hosted by your boy Q, with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling.